faster payments. Do they always mean faster fraud? Also, crypto locking malware gets distributed via legitimate hacked sites. These stories and more coming up on the ISMG Security Report. Hi, I'm Matthew Schwartz. The Faster Payments Task Force is working toward launching a real-time payments network in the United States by 2020. But Faster Payments could open the door to more fraud, as has been seen in other countries, including the United Kingdom as well as Mexico. To learn more about these challenges and how to mitigate them, I'm joined by my colleague, Nick Holland. Nick, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Matt. So there's been a huge push by banks and other financial services firms to enable faster real-time payments as well as clearing. Does this push automatically create a scenario in which fraud is going to occur faster or at least too fast for organizations to arrest it, do you think? That's a good question. I think the short answer is yes. I mean, compared to the old days where it was maybe an ACH transaction or something that's maybe a bank transfer from one account to another, which would typically take, you know, maybe two or three business days, there was inherently sort of an ability to have checks and balances. When you move to something that it's not just the payment, but the settlement occurring in instantaneously, in fact, it's far more problematic because effectively once the funds have gone, they're gone. It is, it is very much seen as an irrevocable transaction. And that's kind of becoming the norm across a lot of payment networks. So we've had the faster payments in the UK for a while. There was a fairly big spike in fraud when that happened. There's lessons that can be learned from that. Inherently, there's companies that are offering some of these new payment solutions want to onboard people as easily as possible. There's kind of that double-edged sword of do they focus on authentication heavily or do they risk possibility that they might alienate people if they're not making them jump through too many hoops. What are some of the more innovative types of fraud that you've seen? That's a good question. I think there's fraud that's seen on faster payment networks is a fraud that we've experienced in the past. It's things like manual attacks, certainly account takeover and synthetic identity fraud are growing areas based on the abundance of PII that's out there now. So these are, and again, these are fraud schemes that aren't necessarily new, but the, the added dimension of the transaction happening near instantaneously does provide clearly a different source of problems the payment networks in that, again, once the funds are gone, they're gone. What are some of the sorts of steps organizations need to be taking now to ensure that they can battle fraud in their real-time payment systems more effectively? Certainly, again, having a network that can scale to match the velocity of payments happening, but also the increase in uptake. I mean, certainly Zelle has grown very significantly in the last 18 months or so. So being able to deal with anticipating the the scale of the network growth. Certainly having kill switches in place to ensure that when things do go awry, you you can shut them down instantaneously as well. And then I think, you know, fundamentally, a lot of this comes down to educating the end user. So a clear understanding of what they should and shouldn't be doing, certainly, you know, spell out what their rights are from a legal standpoint if, if something does go awry. Nick, thanks so much for your insights. Thank you, Matt. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Next, ISMG's Jeremy Kirk details a ransomware campaign 
in which attackers distribute their wares by hacking into legitimate websites with known vulnerabilities. The GanCrab ransomware has been a moving target. Since it was discovered in January, it has become one of the most widely distributed file encrypting malware programs. Researchers with Cisco now say they found it seeded within legitimate websites, making it harder to stop its spread. Cisco says it spotted four campaigns within a week spreading GanCrab, all of which relied on planting the ransomware into legitimate websites. Perhaps not surprising is that the observed websites ran outdated software, which opened the door for attackers. GanCrab first appeared in January. Security experts saw it being distributed by spam messages. If a malicious attachment was opened, it often led to an exploit kit. Exploit kits rapidly probe computers for vulnerabilities and launch an attack if one is found. Final stage is delivery of ransomware. After it encrypts files, it demands a ransom between $300 and $500, which is payable in the virtual currency Dash. Dash is one of several virtual currencies that have sought to improve on Bitcoin by making transactions less traceable. Europol said in late February that less than a month after it was spotted, the ransomware had infected more than 50,000 machines. The security vendor Bitdefender developed a tool to decrypt files. But as is often the case, a second variant of GanCrab was released that the tool couldn't decrypt. Cisco says GanCrab's developers haven't slowed down either, and it's still under almost constant development. The legitimate websites that were unwittingly hosting GanCrab all were running outdated software. Sites were attractive. It saved the operators of GanCrab from having to purchase or set up their own domains. Exploiting legitimate sites also offers other advantages, as the sites may stay up longer before reputation services blacklist them. The problem that underlies many of the malware issues on the internet isn't one that's going to be solved quickly. Well-funded organizations have the awareness and capabilities to ensure their websites aren't easily popped by attackers, but there's a wide pool of poorly protected sites. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. Who's in charge of cybersecurity at the White House? On May 11, White House Cybersecurity Coordinator Rob Joyce is scheduled to leave his post to return to the National Security Agency. Joyce moved to the White House 15 months ago after serving as head of the NSA's elite hacking team. While at the White House, Joyce has been lauded for bringing deep technical acumen to a role that often requires balancing very different approaches. Here's how Joyce described his position in a keynote speech last year. Boy, there's a lot of differing opinions about the right way ahead, right? And so that's, that's a lot of what we're, um, we're involved in is coordinating those policies and bringing together those smart people. Because that's the incredible thing about cyber today is you can get a whole bunch of people in the room who are going like this, right? Pointing in different directions on the same question. And both of them are very, very smart people. They're well-informed, and they're building off a really good base um, of justification for that answer. Um, So we still are working um, to drive forward and understand where we need to be. The cybersecurity coordinator role was created by President Obama at the start of his tenure. Experts say it has been crucial for elevating the federal government's approach to cybersecurity, including such matters as election security, encryption policies, as well as how the federal government responds to nation-state hacking. Joyce's departure follows that of his boss, Tom Bossert, who served as the White House Assistant for Homeland Security and Counterterrorism from the start of Trump's administration until April 2018. During his tenure, Bossert was instrumental in guiding the White House's approach to numerous cybersecurity matters. Notably, it was Bossert who called out North Korea for being behind WannaCry. After careful investigation, the United States is publicly attributing the massive WannaCry cyber attack to North Korea. We do not make this allegation lightly. 
We do so with evidence, and we do so with partners. Other governments and private companies agree. The United Kingdom, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, and Japan have seen our analysis, and they join us in denouncing North Korea for WannaCry. Commercial partners have also acted. Microsoft traced the attack to cyber affiliates of North Korean government, and others in the security community have contributed their analysis. And here he is briefing the press on President Trump's cybersecurity executive order issued last May. President Trump, uh, about an hour ago, signed an executive order on cybersecurity. And that executive order, among other things, is going to keep his promise that he has made to the American people to keep America safe, including in cyberspace. Among other things, uh, at least as an observation for me, I think the trend is going in the wrong direction in cyberspace, and it's time to stop that trend and reverse it on behalf of the American people. Uh, we've seen increasing attacks from allies, adversaries, uh, primarily uh, nation states, but also non-nation state actors, and sitting by and doing nothing is no longer an option. Bossert's April 11 exit from the White House was reportedly engineered by John Bolton, who began serving as the White House National Security Advisor on April 10th. Bolton's move appears to have been a power play. Politico reports that Bolton has been telling White House staffers to not suggest any replacements for Bossert. Now, with the departure of Joyce, who reported to Bossert and who has been temporarily filling his shoes, it's not clear if there will still be a White House cybersecurity coordinator. Politico reports that Bolton's deputy, Mira Rickardell, might absorb the cybersecurity coordinator function into her office. But many former insiders say this would be a dangerous move. Many have been arguing for the cybersecurity coordinator to become a more senior-level role. Chris Painter, a diplomat who briefly served in the role before later becoming the cyber coordinator of the State Department, said that eliminating the position would call into question for both allies and adversaries the U.S.'s ability to lead on cybersecurity matters. Without a doubt, cybersecurity is an ever-increasing national security issue. In the wake of Russia meddling in U.S. elections, cybersecurity is more important than ever before. But despite the efforts of individuals such as Rob Joyce and Tom Bossert, the Trump administration arguably has yet to establish a track record for treating cybersecurity in a proactive manner. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Matthew Schwartz. Thank you for joining us.